As we read the scripture truths, like the ones we're going to read in a moment here from Luke chapter 7, there are several questions that should come to our mind. Questions such as, as we consider all the many people that we encounter, what are our thoughts about them? Do we sometimes feel a judgmental spirit rising up within us as we become aware of some of their unsavory lifestyles? What would be our thoughts if one or more of them that we have observed over time and we've observed their lifestyles, what would be our thoughts if one or more of them were to visit in our church? Would we want them to be here? What would our thoughts be about them as we would see them come and sit in the pews? And what would be our response if, while they were here, one or more of them began to weep and to show other expressions of a broken and contrite heart? Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 7. And let's read about a similar circumstance that took place within the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And let's learn what his response was to the people within that circumstance. And folks, also as we read these words, may we always remember that such encounters as those we'll read about here in a moment are never random. They never catch the Lord Jesus by surprise. God is sovereign and he is the first cause over all that takes place. And if we will look carefully if we'll just have eyes to see and ears to hear, then we'll clearly see God's hand within all this that takes place within this special encounter here that I'll read about. Beginning in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked the Lord Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and to kiss his feet and, and anoint them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Folks, these are very mysterious words, words that you and I must take great care in the understanding that God intends for us to take from them. While this is an actual event that took place within the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, I'm also comfortable in the understanding that the Holy Spirit drew this woman into this moment of worship of the Lord Jesus to not only give glory to him, but to also bring about the responses that we see taking place within the hearts and the minds of those people gathered there that day. And even more, to bring about the responses that can take place in your and my heart and mind as we read these words. And folks, responses do take place. We can't read words like this without having a reaction to them. And unfortunately, for some of us, our responses can often be much like those that we see in the scribes and the Pharisees that were gathered there that day. And why is that so? Why is that so? It's because throughout our growing and learning years, we've been taught about such women as we read about here and about their sinful behavior. This woman who was washing Jesus' feet had led a very sinful lifestyle, a life that the good Christian principles taught in our Bible and taught in our Sunday school classes legitimately declare as being wrong. But here, within the words of this passage, God is revealing to us that something more is taking place within this woman, something that extends on beyond her life circumstance and on beyond the moral laws and traditions that those scribes and Pharisees had adopted. And also, on beyond that set of good Christian principles that you and I have adopted about such things as that. Here we see an evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit taking place. It's that special work that Jesus would later speak about in John chapter 16 where he said, And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Here we see the Holy Spirit had already begun his work in this woman's life. And also here we see God the Father at work. Listen to those familiar words that we've quoted so often of late from John chapter 6. There the Lord Jesus said to us, No one can come to me. And this woman had done that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God the Father had drawn her to the Lord Jesus. This very sinful woman had been convicted of her sins. And had been drawn to the Lord Jesus with tears of repentance. Tears of repentance. And not only was this woman showing her repentance. She was unashamedly worshiping the Lord Jesus. Glorifying him. As he really rightfully should have been glorified. And on beyond her worship. She was showing forth the kind of love that God calls us, you and me, to have for him. That we should love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And praise be to God. And that was the meaning and the intent of the question that Jesus asked the Pharisee, Simon. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man 
were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, by the way, I love the way these words are given to us here. This Pharisee thought this in his own mind. Didn't say it out loud. He thought it in his own mind. But Jesus answered him, answered this unspoken question. So he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Folks, we must remember as we read these words that even in his human condition, Jesus was still truly God. And as I mentioned a moment ago, he knew every thought and every motive behind every thought of everyone present that day. Jesus knew the judgmental hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he knew the repentant heart of this woman. And he knew the deep heartfelt love that this woman had for him. And knowing the thoughts of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus knew that their love for him and their receiving of him and his truth only could extend as far as their laws and their traditions permitted their minds to go. And so the woman was forgiven much. But these scribes and Pharisees, they were forgiven very little. And also knowing the thoughts of those scribes and Pharisees, Jesus knew that they were questioning in their minds about him having the authority to forgive sin. That only God could forgive sin without stopping to dispute with them about their unbelief. He just simply went on ahead and exercised his authority as God and forgave the woman her sins. And also, folks, for you and me, these words and this woman's behavior as she worshiped the Lord Jesus, they clearly reveal to us that it's the desire of our Lord that our relationship with him and our knowledge of him go far and beyond the measure of just our following our good Christian principles. They're good, yes, but it needs to go beyond just following good Christian principles that we've been taught. God intends that every part of our relationship with him be of the greatest intensity and the deepest of love. That's what this woman was showing, great intensity and the deepest of love, that we, you and I, should love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Nothing less, folks, and nothing in between. We see that clearly being commanded throughout these scriptures. One occasion that quickly comes to my mind is this conversation that the Lord Jesus had with the apostle Peter when they were there on the beach before Jesus ascended into heaven. And there in that conversation that the Lord Jesus had with Peter, he repeatedly asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? How much do you love me? Do you love me more than you love these men, these friends of yours? The unspoken meaning within Jesus' words in that occasion was, Peter, you must love me more than you love these other men, even more than you love 
your very closest of friends. You must love me with an intensity that's far greater than any love that you've ever experienced before. He's saying you must love me with a spirit-filled love. A love that permeates and saturates every part of your being. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Now question. Why is such an intense love for Christ so important, so necessary, and so required of you and me? It's because God truly is a jealous God. He told us that all the way back from the earliest days of the Old Testament. He truly is a jealous God. Not jealous in the same sense that you and I understand jealousy to be. But jealous in the sense that a lover desires the love between him and his beloved to be absolutely intimate. Unshared. Undivided. Exclusive in every way. To just the two of them. Folks, God is most wise. And he knows that the very moment that love begins to be shared outside of a relationship, even in the slightest of ways, the unity between the two lovers will suffer loss. In salvation, there's this mysterious union that forms between the Lord Jesus and those of us who are being saved. The union of Jesus, our lover, and of us, his beloved bride. A union that binds us together forever and eternally. A oneness that even the slightest of variance in our love for him can bring great damage to our relationship. And folks, often from our human perspective, we won't even realize that anything has taken place. But that's not so with the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus knows immediately and feels, immediately feels, even the slightest loss in this intensity of love. And it's ever so painful to him. But how can that be so? We don't understand how that can be so. Folks, he can do that because he truly does live and abide within each of our hearts. His spirit resides deeply within every fiber of our being. And he senses everything that we sense. And he feels everything that we feel. He knows the very moment that our heart begins to go astray from him. And he knows all the possibilities and problems that a wandering heart can bring to a relationship. And so his spirit is continually calling out to our spirit. Beloved, beloved, love me. Love me as I love you. Knowing all this then, as you and I are given this very intimate look into the life and the love of this dear woman who's showering her adoration upon the person of the Lord Jesus, we need to ask ourselves the question, how much do I, myself, love the Lord Jesus? What is the intensity of the love that resides within my heart for him right at this moment? Is my heart one with his heart? Or is my heart being shared? Do I love him, but also love others and love other things with a similar or perhaps even greater intensity? Now, many would ask, but is it not right that I love others, especially my wife, my husband, my children? And the answer is yes. Yes, of course. You and I are to love them and love them even far more than we do. But the love that we have for them must only be the kind that flows out from the love that we have for the Lord Jesus. 
That's because, folks, love that does not flow out from our love for the Lord Jesus is only a mediocre imitation, and it'll never last. That's being proven out daily before our eyes as we see love relationships between husbands and wives, family members, neighbors, others just torn apart for the slightest of reasons. The strength of human love is simply not capable of truly binding people together. It doesn't work. That's why Jesus asked Peter that question. Do you love me more than you love these men, your friends? And that's why we need the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the love that is present within the Holy Spirit that enables our spirit then to love the Lord Jesus in the way and with the intensity that Jesus desires for us to love him. The words in 1 John 4, they're far more profound than we first realize. In those words, we're told that God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. In those words, God is saying to us that he himself is actually the love that we feel and express. That's a difficult thing for our minds to comprehend. But he's saying he is that love that we feel and express. And that if we ever hope to have real and true love for him and for each other, then we must desire for him to abide every moment within us. And we must desire to abide every moment within him. Simply put, God really is love. Without him, real love does not exist. Yes, we can feel emotions that we call love. But without God, those emotions are only an image, a vague image of love and not the real thing. Now here in this mysterious behavior of this woman, we find a deep and passionate expression of that real love. A spirit-filled love. Love that is steeped in humility and it knows no bounds. Without concern for how she might look to all those other people in the room, this dear woman humbled herself and worshipped and adored the Lord Jesus with all that she had within her. With all of her heart, all of her soul, all of her strength. And in her adoration of the Lord Jesus, she had no sense of shame for her behavior. Because there truly is no shame in godly love. This is real love, folks. Love that you and I might never experience unless we're willing to take the same path that this dear woman chose. A path that began with deep and abiding repentance. Repentance. We know that to be so because Jesus immediately spoke about her sin. He said, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She was repenting. Hers was a repentant love. Again, we need to remember that Jesus was able to perceive the hearts, the minds, the very thoughts of everyone that he met. His words about this woman were not just presumption or hearsay. He knew her intimate thoughts right at those moments. And he knew that she truly was a sinner many times over. But we can easily see from this woman's behavior and from the words that the Lord Jesus spoke about her, this woman was truly repentant for her sins. And that's the way it must always be with you and me. You and I must know and own our sin as our own. Never an excuse, never blaming it on others or the world or some financial condition or some other excuse. And we must especially not seek 
to minimize our sinful behavior by saying such foolish defensive words as, oh, I know I made mistakes. I cringe when I hear people use that expression. Oh, I know I made mistakes. They're not repentant. Those are not repentant words. Folks, sin is not just a mistake that we've made. Our sin is a personal breach of God's holiness. And its guilt really must be owned by us and dealt with through repentance. This dear woman was doing exactly that. She was contrite and she was penitent in her behavior. And the Lord Jesus, knowing her heart, he said, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Penitent behavior is not something that we modern-day Christians often like to show. We instead like to throw up those quick little prayers saying, Oh Lord, forgive us for all our many sins. Amen. But then we leave it at that. No penitence at all. But in this woman, we see something far different. In her, we see the perfect combination. A humble, broken, and contrite heart. And deep repentance. And then loving adoration. The sorrow for her sins and the intimate love that she had for the Lord Jesus was being proven out by her actions and her behaviors. And I must tell you that her behavior should bring great conviction and grief to not only our own hearts, but also the hearts of most of modern-day Christians. How often in our worship service do we see humble, abiding, intimate love for the person of the Lord Jesus being unashamedly expressed. We seldom see that, especially in our very conservative denominations. We instead manage to remain proper throughout our worship services, daring only to do those things that are decently and in order. Favorite words of us conservative Christians, decently and in order. In all honesty, during most of our worship services, We might look very much like some of those scribes and Pharisees that are spoken about here. Now a question, a question for each and for all of us. Are we truly satisfied with the manner and the intensity with which we love and worship the Lord Jesus? Or should we be more like this woman? Should we in this church dare go beyond the norm and without concern for what others might think of us, perhaps freely lift our hands in praise, worshiping and adoring the Lord Jesus. Are we willing to love Him that much? If we are, then may I suggest that we begin as this dear woman did. First, by recognizing the depths and the wretchedness of our own sins. Do you take time to do that? Do I take time to do that? to recognize the depth and the wretchedness of my own sin, and then repenting of those sins. For this woman, her sins were many, and these scriptures tell us that. But folks, so are ours. So are ours. Ours just might not be as open as hers were. Jesus' words give us the understanding that it was because she recognized how much she was forgiven that she was able to so freely and humbly feel no shame in her adoration of her Lord and Savior. If you and I will only permit our hearts to see and to know and to own the guilt of our own sinfulness 
And if we'll fall on our knees and beg the Lord Jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us from that sinfulness, then perhaps we'll also do as this dear woman did and unashamedly begin to worship and adore the Lord Jesus. Let me close with these words. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray.